Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Don't touch that dial. You're tuned in to the Dread Podcast Network. You are now listening to Postmortem with Mick Garris, where the most influential voices in horror cinema will spill their guts to the renowned horror director, writer, and producer. Now, here's your host, Mick Garris. From Nice Guy Productions World Headquarters overlooking the glamorous San Fernando Valley, I'm Mick Garris, and this is Postmortem. Who doesn't love a birthday? This is a really special birthday. It is the 35th birthday of the first feature film I ever directed, Critters 2, The Main Course. And we did a 30th anniversary with the Kyoto Brothers and Lin Shay, but this time we've got a cast of thousands. This may be the biggest number of guests we've ever had on Postmortem at one time, but it's all cast members from the film and they're all here together via Zoom. And I couldn't be more excited to see these beautiful faces of people that I had the best time making my first movie with, made a really difficult shoot so much easier and more fun and more pleasant. So let me just name them off in the rows they appear on my Zoom screen. Barry, 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 Barry. (laughs) Barry Corbin. Barry Corbin played Sheriff Harv originally played by Emmett Walsh in the first Critters, but we'll talk about why Emmett Walsh did not return and that we were lucky enough to get Barry in. I've got Lynn. a story about Emmett, too. Oh, great. Okay. <laughs> Lynn Shea, who was here before, and we've done a couple of podcasts with her, but there's never enough Lynn Shea in the world. So, Lynn, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you, Mick. That's a sweet, very sweet uh, inter- intro. <laughs> I'll take it. I'm glad <laughs> Le- to see everybody. Leanne Curtis, who played Megan Morgan, uh, the female lead, if you will, in, in the film. She's here with us. And uh, it's so great to have you here. You haven't aged a bit like everyone else here. So welcome to the slab. Thank you. Thank you, Mick. It's really nice to be here. It's so nice to see everybody. It's so great. And Tommy Hodges, who played the thug Wesley, who is just the opposite of a thug, the sweetest guy around. I first worked with him when he acted in an episode of Amazing Stories that I wrote called No Day at the Beach. Tom, thank you so much for joining us here. Absolute pleasure. And then, of course, the beautiful and talented Cynthia Garris, who plays Zanti, the uh, unrecognizable alien leader. Um, and we'll talk about her tortured experience under Christopher Biggs' makeup. But um, let's let's just play around Robin. And again, everybody's Zoom images are in different order on their screens. But Barry, with you, um, we went to you. The producers had a lot of trouble with Emmett Walsh. Um, He was not a pleasant fellow to work with, and they decided when there was a sequel to be made that they were going to recast. And we were so lucky to get you. You had just come off Northern Exposure, and you'd done so much great character work, and we got you as Sheriff Harv. And I remember getting you in the room for the first time, and I was so excited to meet you. And you are the embodiment of a Texas cowboy. Well, I I guess I am. Yeah, kind of. Uh, I've moved back to Texas, so I'm I'm really even more than I was then. But uh, anyhow, the uh, uh, my uh, I asked my son, who was uh, at that time I think he was uh, about uh, six or seven. This is Jim. I said, "Do you know anything about a movie called Critters?" And he said, yeah, you, I, why? And I said, they're doing the Critters too, and they want me to do the sheriff in it. And he said, do you get killed? And I said, no, I don't get killed. I survived this one. And he said, yeah, I'll do it. 
<laughs> and so I did. And you'd never worked <laughs> in the movies with and, little uh, monsters before. No, I'd never done that before. So, and uh, I actually, I'd never uh, done anything at the, up to that point with anything except zombies. I did a zombie <laughs> movie before that, but everything else is just regular people. <laughs> but these, uh, these things, they, you, when you put them together in a big, big carpet roll and roll them at you, they're scary. <laughs> yeah. Well, working with puppets had to be complicated for all the actors. Now, Lynn, you are a veteran of monster movies and makeup effects movies and things like that. But this was early on in your career. So you'd come out of Nightmare on Elm Street and you had, had done other of the new line pictures and the like. But, but here you were a central character, Sal the reporter. So tell me about your experience coming on board. Well, I was, first of all, I was elated that there was going to be a second, you know, a second version of it. And um, I mean, as we all know, or most people know, Bob Shea is my brother and he's the one who produced the films and got them and gave Mick the opportunity and gave his sister the opportunity. I, I was the one, he never told me this early on, but he would say, put my sister in your movie. You know, and then he would say to me, get your own goddamn job. <laughs> <laughs> So he was sort of, he would make sure I, I didn't think he was really being a nice brother. But, um, and the, I was, so the first one was a real treat for me. I mean, I had no, I hadn't done anything like that. And that character, I'm still to this day, not a hundred percent sure how we came up with the red lips and the thirties look with the curls and. Well, I'll tell you, it was your idea. Oh, <laughs> maybe you, that's why i don't remember but i i i don't know how it gen what was the genesis of it i think it had to do i think it had to do with the hair because we were doing these curls and we thought about henna and yeah. lips and i thought wouldn't it be great and we ended up with that i have a couple of fantastic photographs that are still photos um well they're all a photo is always a still photo but um I wish I'd been able to find it. It was it's a black and white of, of Sal, a very serious picture, kind of looking over my shoulder in that in that fabulous suit. The suit was mine. I think that was also part of it. I got it at this little this little boutique and it was very 30s kind of, you know, fitted uh orange suit. And so we sort of built the character around it. And I well, mean it was I also a, his it was also his girl Friday. You know, we were looking exactly. at like iconic Hollywood movie newswomen. Exactly. And I have to say something on behalf of Emmett Walsh, though. I mean, I my only my only um relationship, of course, was with him in that in those couple scenes. But he knew I was kind of a newbie. And he kept saying, I suppose you want to run the lines, don't you? And I would say, <laughs> Yeah, okay. So we'd run the lines and he'd say, I'll bet you want to run them again, don't you? And he kind of he kind of spoon fed me through the experience of re rehearsing and getting comfortable with the scene in your character. And um, and, you know, I was just I was very serious about my com about my comedy, about the work. I I came up with the idea of the rollers and the hair, I think, too. And yeah. um, so I was to cut to the chase. I mean, to do and then to meet you and to have the opportunity um, to have another fabulous wardrobe. I remember I had this sort of Easter, it was about Easter, the Easter bunny. And I found this great hat this, that I kept forever. And I finally gave it away. And I'm so sorry to this day, because it's sort of an iconic, you know, Easter bonnet. But I, I was thrilled to work with you. And you were just great, Mick. You really uh, were. I, I mean, I was sort of knew what I was doing. And you were very... Um, knew it, what I was doing. <laughs> and, but very supportive with, with authority. And that's exactly what you, you wanted to have. You know, you were you allowed me to have my thoughts, but at the same time, you were very, a wonderful guide, which of course you still have grown into even more and more. So thank you for the opportunity, Mick Garris. Oh, uh, well, thank you. I, I just was meeting with a film class from uh, Denmark yesterday, and we were talking about the relationship between a director and actors, because these were all film students and they were all hopeful directors and the like. And to me, the best way to get the work out of anybody, whether it's a cast or a crew member is through encouragement and yeah, exactly. being the outside eyes and ears. An actor can't, can only work from the inside out. They can't work from the outside in. And my job is to be, to allow you to walk a razor wire and I will be that safety net. 
you know, I'll, I'll be able to see things that you're not able to and, and encourage you and make suggestions if you want them. But this was, it was such a great mix of experienced and new people. I mean, Barry brought so much experience, experience to it. Sure. And he was a rock. And he was also, Barry, you were playing in a comedic sense. I mean, the, the scene in the church where you gather everybody together to go out after, take after the, the critters, Come on, you bunch of pussies. You got nothing to lose but your lives. It's one of the most <laughs> galvanizing moments. And the crowd, all three of them in the theater opening night, were cheering under <laughs> your shooting up into the church. <laughs> yeah, uh, Emmett Walsh told me that I, that I was much better drunk than he was. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I told Emmett that he hadn't rehearsed enough that if he'd rehearsed a little more he'd be a better drunk well, actually if it, what anyway. he said were true um, he would have still been in the movie but it's just <laughs> you, know, you know listen what is it foresight is hindsight hindsight is foresight I mean it's and, and I remember Barry when I found out Barry was playing the sheriff I mean it was just heaven also I had so much fun working with you Barry you know it was you were a great team player and really threw the ball back and and the few scenes we had are are sort of delicious I think that are in the film so thank you for that yeah <laughs> thank you you come it to pleasure you come to Barry's trailer when he's in his boxers and undershirt <laughs> watching the game show. <laughs> charming, charming. Leanne Curtis as Megan Morgan, the hopeful Lois Lane uh, of the uh, uh, Travers uh, of Grover's Bend Gazette run by her father. So Leanne, you were new to the experience. You weren't a re returning player. So tell me about that. We had a great read with you and you know, you were an unconventional leading woman, which was exactly what we were looking for as a foil to Brad Brown, played by Scott Grimes. So tell me about your first experience stepping into this. Well, like, you know, I, I, first of all, I was I was very excited. I was very excited. I remember the day I got it. I remember my mom was in town and I remember I was in the middle of renting my first apartment. All kinds of firsts were going on, um, including this. And um, I remember the audition process. Like I remember that last round when Cheryl and I were there and it was back and forth and back and forth. And then the call came in from the agent. Do you know how to drive a stick? I said, yeah. And they said, okay, thanks. And I hung up and I just looked at my mom like, what the hell was that about? <laughs> thing I know, I got a job. And I thought, oh no, did it come down to that? Did it? I don't yes. know. But I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful for my stealing my mother's car and <laughs> learning how to drive when I was like before I was supposed to be doing that. Well, it's so great when you've got an actor who can drive a car and you can put a camera on them while they're driving a car. The veracity of that and not having to double someone, shoot them from the distance, especially in these days before CGI. Um, but I'm sure. But it was also a great little, you'd been the girlfriend from hell. And uh, this is quite the opposite of that. You know, right. it's, it's this constantly interrupted kiss that never fulfills itself until the climax of the movie. Right? It's true. It's true. And then Charlie shows up and like, could you not? Really? <laughs> finally actually it's after the climax it's the very ending of the movie before he gets tossed the thing so tell me about playing the romantic role and the and the relationship that you had with scott grimes and what discussions you had in between that i wasn't privy to well you know what happens in vegas no we weren't in vegas <laughs> i tell you happens what happens in, in saga stays in saga <laughs> Yeah, that was intense. Like I loved having to go up there, but you asked about Scott. I loved working with Scott. First of all, his birthday's right around mine. Both of us are cancer. So we got along really well. Both of us like singing. So we got to sing a lot. Like when we're getting our makeup done, we just sit there and harmonize and just do all this fun music stuff, you know, and then we go out and be actors. And, but um, it was really nice to bond with him in the music side, as well as the acting. Yeah. Cause Scott put out albums as well. Afterwards, right. Something yeah. I yet to do, but you know, there's time. 
Um, and your daughter is also a musician like you. Yes, yes. And like my mom, it's three generations, which is wow. kind of uh, kind of the, the collective of three, I call us. Um, but yeah, so, so, um, and he's such a good actor. He was so real and so right there and so professional, you know. Um, um, he had been there before. So did he give you any tips on, on, on the previous experience? Because he'd been in Critters 1. And he looks like a baby when I look back at the Critters 1 scenes. I go, wait, that's not our Scott, yeah. who was 16 when he shot the film. I know. It's so funny. He came of age between the two. Yeah. You know, one minute he's like this little kid. And the next minute he's, you know, teenager trying to kiss some chick. <laughs> and finally does at the end spoiler yeah. alert yeah right yeah right oh so oh. tom tom you and i you didn't know until just recently that we had had the connection with amazing stories you had been in that episode of no day at the beach that leslie linka gladder directed from a script that i had written from a story idea by spielberg so yeah. i do your work from there and that's why i wanted you uh, on board on this movie, but you only just found that out recently. Well, yeah, I mean, I probably knew it before, but I just uh, remembered it. You know, uh, I was looking on uh, IMDb and like, oh, wait a second. He wrote on that show. And then I looked up what episodes and sure enough, you'd written the episode I was in. Yeah. So that was a great connection that we have. Uh, that was only my second thing I'd ever done, the Amazing Stories episode. So uh, nice that we kind of started out at the same time. Well, coming into Critters 2, little monster puppets, all of that, this was new to you as well. Tell me about the experience of having to take turns with, <laughs> uh, with furry little latex creatures with human hands up their butts. Yeah. Well, I must say that uh, when I look at it on screen, uh, it's much different than the experience that we had when we were there uh, filming. Uh, uh, I'm really impressed with what they were able to do. I don't think I had that much interaction with the puppets um, in my scenes. I mean, the eggs for sure and uh, some other stuff. But uh, I remember watching that enormous ball of critters rolling <laughs> down the street and stuff. And, and that was pretty cool. And then, uh, Leanne, remember the, the big ball that was attached to the truck? I mean, that was pretty incredible, too, you know, but and that uh, was a remote control. There were two different balls. One was a big pile of pelts stitched together around right. a, an inflated ball that was just rolled and it was light and bouncy. But the other one was a couple of thousand pounds and it was hundreds of critter heads, all of them with remote control. And it was on an axle that was connected to that truck for that chase scene there wow. and <clears throat> was pretty, pretty exciting. And really costly if we'd fucked it up <laughs> it's amazing what they did it, it really is and and i i do remember seeing maybe a string or two at, at you know on on the big screen but when you watch it now you, i just don't even notice that you know uh it's just so fun and and uh I, mick and i got to see the movie with a group of what would you say about 30 or 35 people yeah it was, a, it was like a that packed a packed space it was all you could fit in there and they loved every minute of watching it you know there's a big cheer when barry came back you know and uh and lynn and leanne you all all got some really great claps and cheers and uh so it was really fun to see our movie being appreciated all these years later yeah it's it's really ironic when the film came out i wasn't joking when i said about the three people in the theater on opening night my neighborhood theater was uh, Universal City Walk. And I went in, it's Friday night, the first night of Critters 2, and there were three people in the theater. And it was like, oh, shit. And will I ever work again? I was crestfallen. Here it is 35 years later. It plays at film festivals all the time. It plays in theaters on Easter. And it plays the way it played with the, I don't know if you remember that we did a sneak preview before the movie came out and it was New Line Pictures' most successful sneak ever. It was sold out. Everybody was laughing and screaming and jumping and having a great time. And I see it these days with live audiences and it has the same effect. And it was 35 years ago. And somehow with audiences ages from you know six to 60, 
they still really take it in as if it's a brand new movie. And even why do you it, think? Yeah. Why do you think the the reaction from the sneak preview didn't carry over into more box office? Because they saw it free with another movie they paid for that they wanted to see. So speaking of musicians who are also actors, we also have here the beautiful, talented Cynthia Garris, <laughs> who is my wife and who uh, slept with the director to get the part. No, that's not. <laughs> yeah, I did. Didn't we Maybe all? you slept with her to get her to be in it. <laughs> that, that's <laughs> more... <laughs> Okay. Let's get it straight. <laughs> That's more like it. Anyway, uh, you were Zanti. You're completely unrecognizable under Chris Biggs's um, makeups that were torturous. They were not made for human beings to wear. They were made for a monster effect. Tell me exactly what your torturous getup was. You want me to relive it, huh? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I... Uh all I can say is I'm really grateful that was not my first experience under uh, prosthetic makeup. I had done uh, three days and nights um, in zombie makeup on Thriller, uh, and you and I were there at the same time for a couple of days, and uh, that was fine. I was okay with that, get, casting my face, getting the mold and everything. So had this been my first experience, I would have been so ashamed of myself and felt like a complete failure, but it wasn't, thank goodness. And um, unfortunately, the makeups that Chris Biggs designed were not meant for humans, as you said, and uh, it was horribly claustrophobic. There was no way to breathe. Uh, he put those glass balls where my eyes would be so I couldn't see, I couldn't hear. I couldn't breathe. I had a complete meltdown panic attack. Well, but let me let me yeah. detail what your makeup yeah. was because the prosthetic covered your entire face other than your mouth, including your nose. Yeah. There no. were no slits for the nose Jeez. for breathing. So when he got when he got it all glued down um all over my face, I went into a panic attack and just yelled for him to please take it off, please take it off. And they were calling for you. They had to call you from the set. Um, <laughs> and I felt, oh, no, I'm ruining his day of shooting. Of course, it's got to be the wife who ruins the shoot. Um, and in the meantime, his assistant, who was this wonderful girl, I don't remember her name, but she she looked at that piece that he had just glued on me. And she started yelling at him, saying, you haven't scored any um, any." Uh, um, openings for breathing openings. holes yeah. yeah thank you Lynn any openings for my nose I mean you just it was like being buried alive but oh, anyway, horrible. Mick came in I burst into tears and <laughs> I, pop, I popped two Valium and said let's do it and um, somebody well, had beyond to... that beyond that you were strapped yeah. into oh, yeah. a straitjacket well, they... and the arms were puppeted they yeah. were fake puppet arms. So your arms were strapped to your body. So you couldn't move. I couldn't move. And, you know, I'd gotten it together enough on the Valium. Somebody was helping me with my giant head to make it to the soundstage. And then I had to be pushed into this fiberglass body. So oh I, my God. I, I was like, it was buried alive. And uh, <laughs> sorry and to laugh, even but even on two Valium, that's, that's awful. I kept thinking, come on, Mick, please, please, please get this over with. Please, let's get this over with. So You don't need another take, Mick. I think we did like two takes and that was it. You gave me a little line reading, but that was fine. I was a new. new actor. Yeah, I'd only done. That you what? could even speak is probably a miracle. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you, that sounds to me like yeah. more than remembering a line, just being able to get your mouth around the words. Yeah. So that Mick. was my experience. Yeah. <laughs> what <Wow>. mouth? <laughs> so Barry, let's go back to you, Barry, and the difference in the kind of shoot you're used to doing something that was really contained like Northern Exposure was and the kinds of movies and television shows you'd done. But here we're out in Saugus in the coldest winter in 100 years. Um, it was 21 degrees when we were there, which was just brutal. Um, and most of your scenes took place outside, day and night, and it was freezing. Did 
did the discomfort affect how you were able to do your work? I don't I don't remember being uncomfortable. <laughs> well, that's great. You certainly did. I didn't probably was, like it. but I don't remember it. I I remember the fun of the thing. It was a lot of fun. I well, I was used to being cold on shoots. You know, I uh, in northern exposure, we'd be up in the mountains sometimes, and it was some of my favorite uh, uh, episodes were out in the snow. You know horseback and things so it was uh i'm used to that it doesn't bother me well what heat bothers me a lot more well we didn't have to worry about that uh, <laughs> <laughs> so was there a, a scene that was particularly memorable to you because for me the scene where you give your speech in the church is priceless and you talk about the you know no face spaceman and all that that they're talking to you about and you just rally the troops and say shut the fuck up we're going after them <laughs> yeah i remember that uh uh pretty well i it was it it seemed to be it seemed to work uh pretty well for me uh, well, i'm glad it worked for the other people too <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was it was so galvanizing for everybody there. But the other one is when you come back right at the last minute, when all of the critters are attacking Brad and Cindy and suddenly bam, 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 bam. And you twirl your six shooters and put them into the holsters and the so camera classic. goes up on you. And then I'm back. <laughs> and the crowd of Careful three moment. yeah but the other night the crowd as tommy can attest they cheered it was yes. so phenomenal yeah so yeah i love shooting those little things <laughs> <laughs> and it's nice playing the hero isn't it oh yeah yeah it's always good playing the hero even an imperfect <laughs> maybe especially an imperfect one <laughs> but I, I love that we styled this to be sort of a modern western and so the sheriff is really like a throwback to what a western sheriff would have been in 1946 hollywood and you represent that so well and you you so got it and you were able to walk everybody walked that line of comedy and drama without ever falling over into the overly broadly comedic side. And the, the thing I think that makes this movie last is that the characters are really sweet and dimensional and lovable in a very kind of Norman Rockwell sense. Well, to play a, uh, to play a, a character like, uh, like, this, like anybody in a, in a situation like this, the situation is not believable. Right. So you've got to believe it more strongly. And you've got you you can't play for laughs because that's uh you know we we're in uh we're in in, in mortal uh, uh danger. Yeah. Yep. And we've got we've got to keep that reality going otherwise the whole thing goes to pieces. And and everybody is motivated by veracity. You know, Lynn may be your character was perhaps the broadest of the bunch, but it was so contained because what you did with it, you know, your out, your out, um, outfit may have been odd and extreme, but it was, it was also, an Easter, it was an Easter outfit. <laughs> exactly. And it was perfect. And your hairdo and, and I love your lipstick that goes up over your lips. Like so many <laughs> women, of those women. Room. Yeah. <laughs> So, but tell me what your preparation was for that, because Lynn, more than anybody, you seem to have done a lot of homework for this. I mean, I, you know, it, it's, it's, you, you believe the situation. I mean, the, the thing, I, I actually saw it not too long ago too, it was on, on television. And, um, you know, the whole thing about the teeth where, they're, where, I'm, where I'm banging on the, on the truck window to try to let them know that the critters are coming. And, it, and it was, you know, it's just the energy of what, first of all, of what's happening. And I'm grateful that I have enough suspended belief that if something's chasing me, it scares the shit out of me. I mean, for, I mean, I really, I, it's not, it's, it rides a very fine line. It's not pretend anymore. There's something that, and maybe thank God, I mean, that's, that's what makes me a, a reasonable actress, you know, that I can really, I, I just have to 
draw the picture and I'm in it and I it, it's real for me. I mean, it really becomes real. So the preparation was really the moment, you know, was really being the, the you know, being chased by this big giant ball rolling <laughs> down the street. And um and you know, and the love of the community. I mean, Sal is a very community-oriented woman, and she she uh, loves the people around her and is very protective of the people around her. That's her her that's her life force. So those things become very real, and um, I'm grateful that even in a broad comedy, that they 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 take hold. You know, they take hold to me, and then gratefully they take hold to the people watching. You know, to the audience. So, well, yeah, I think one of the great things in the scene outside of Quigley's junk store, um, where you first have Quigley fall out on top of Scott and all of the critters come out and start uh, plunging their quills at the car is Leanne and Scott and Lynn, all of you fed one another because you've got these eager Kyoto Brothers employees <laughs> tossing ball, critter balls right into the like, window. You know, like, and they one of them actually went into the window. It wasn't intended to. So I remember added, that. Uh, I, I yeah. actually remember that moment. So we added the hand puppet to to recreate that. Then you start hitting it with your gloves. <laughs> and just every the veracity of feeding one another, the fear of it just was like a magical moment for us. It's really fun. I mean, we all, you know, I mean, that that's the joy of acting, too, is letting the other the other energy of, of your partners in, you know, because that changes your behavior as well. And um, it's all it's all very. It's always the same issues that, that sort of create the reality. It's, it's the same, the same, you know, even though even though the story may be different. And I think you're right, you know, the, the community of who we're working with and and feeding off the other actors and and making something happen to them with what you do. I mean, it's acting is so much fun. I mean, it's and uh, in a movie like that, with those that those kind of circumstances, you are really allowed to participate in the full joy of, you know, of creating energy with each other and making it and making it real to the audience. So it was a really successful adventure i think for all of us and um, for all of us except for your brother <laughs> <laughs> well you know what nothing is a successful adventure for my brother <laughs> like, um, well maybe except lord of the rings at the end when he won academy awards for it but yes. no but he, he loves those movies too and yeah. i actually remember after i did the first i'll, I'll make this quick but the, the first critters and we watched it uh, a screening of it and, you know, Bob and I am still his little sister and he still kind of beats me up emotionally, whether <laughs> I, whether he means to or not, I, that's how I take it. And and so I was sitting next to him and I was really nervous because here I was, you know, in this movie that he had put me in. And I just remember him elbowing me when the audience reacted, you know, to the character. Oh. And I felt so proud, you know, that I was able to fulfill his expectations. So that's beautiful. Um, and thank you for you as well. I mean, really, all of you guys, Leanne, you were just great. And Barry, uh, you know, I I mean, I, I would love I hope we work all together again someday. That's my biggest wish, you know, that we can recreate something wonderful because you are all fabulous actors and people and and oh. um Give, what a givers. lucky experience to be able to have, because this was a very difficult movie to make. <clears throat> Everything about filmmaking that's tough was in this. Was we in had this movie. <laughs> special effects, we had puppets, we had no money, we had kids, we had dogs. We had, cold, we had freezing cold, we had yeah. a first time director. Yep. <laughs> pyrotechnics. Don't forget the pyrotechnics. Yeah, the, the pyrotechnics, pyrotechnics too, right. That's right. Yeah. I forgot well, about that. I'll tell you a story about blowing up the Polar Burger plant. Um, the special effects technician, the pyrotechnics guy, um, was very excited to give me the button and say, here, you blast it. And I said, no, no, that's okay. You're, you're a highly trained professional, a highly paid, highly trained professional. Well, nobody was highly paid on this show. But anyway, no, no, come on. I want you to pull, push the button. It'll be great. It'll be great. So we're building up to it. And it's an enormous thing that can't be replicated. And so screw. finally, it's three, two, one. Now I push the button. Nothing happened. Nothing happened. Oh, nothing oh happened. my God. Three times, nothing happened. Finally, oh. he goes in and he rejiggers everything and 
and rewires and all this stuff. Finally, I said, his name was Marty, I'll leave it at that. But uh, finally, I said, Marty, you push the button, you're the pro, and I don't want to give it the bad luck that it's had so far. And so we do it, and he pushes the button, and there are supposed to be three giant explosions. The first giant explosion happened, and it burned all the wires that lead to the second and third oh, explosions. No. So we just kind of recut from each different angle the explosion. So the same explosion the over same and over. Same explosion over and over. And <laughs> You'd never it know it. So there, you know, the magic also, of. <laughs> we, we also built that town in Saugus. It was a, a um, sheriff's department shooting range, practice range, and it was just a bunch of barracks and things. And Philip Dean Foreman was our great production designer, and Mick Strawn was our construction uh, head. And he turned it into the town of Grover's Bend, which doesn't exist despite the end title saying, you know, the producers wish to thank the people of Grover's Bend for blah, blah, blah. But the, the magic of movies, and we made the movie on a budget of about $4 million, which is double what the original Critters was made for. Really? But, but, the, uh, but the production value we had building a town, making hundreds of Critters instead of a handful, um, you know, the, the explosives, the aliens, all of that stuff, um, you know, $4 million, it was uh, not enough, not nearly enough, but um, more than that sort of movie usually was made for. But the idea of being in control of our own town that, that we built was really great. And it's also my favorite theme of Norman Rockwell Goes to Hell. It was the first time I'd ever pursued that theme, you know, just like in the beginning of Blue Velvet, you see the perfect Norman Rockwellian town and people and everything slow motion and beautiful and the sprinklers going. And then you zoom into the grass and see a decapitated ear in the grass. So Norman Rockwell goes to hell is a great theme. So, <laughs> so Leanne. It feels like every bit of that $4 million ended up on screen, Mick. And, and I remember you talking about the music and yes. that was pretty incredible. Well, incredible. one of the great things about the music was in the 80s, and this was 1988, most scores were electronic. Nobody spent money on orchestras, on genre films in particular. And we were able to get Nicholas Pike. He had sent me cues for every scene in the movie that he had recorded while he was recording uh, another score. He got his orchestra to do cues that he thought would work for our movie. So these were just temp things, but they were fantastic. And we got him and he hired, he put together a 40 piece non-union orchestra. And that music is so Americana. It's, it, it's so old United States, Norman Rockwell uh, salute it's, music. It's so uh, um, seven, not sevens of the uh, Magnificent Seven. It always yeah, it's definitely that. got Magnificent Huge. Seven. Yeah, yeah. And it has, has scope that I found out a year or two later, Steven Spielberg's editor, Michael Kahn, tempted a lot of Steven's movies with our score. Oh, you're was, kidding. Oh, that's crazy. Amazing. You know, the original Critters was very much a, a, it wouldn't have happened if Gremlins had not come before. And it has a very Spielbergian sense of style and approach to it, which I think is why I was, offered the job because I was working for Spielberg on Amazing Stories and they got a writer-director two-for-one bargain that they hoped some of the Spielberg stardust would rub off on the movie. And of course, you work with Steven and you love movies and love Spielberg movies. You can't help but be influenced by him, <clears throat> but particularly working with him day-to-day -day on Amazing Stories. So I hope we did bring a level of that to it, not enough to make any difference at the box office, but certainly the, the influences are, are blatant throughout, you know. Um, so Tom, you're the sweetest guy in the world. You make baked, <laughs> you make baked goods with your daughter. Yes. That I, Leanne tells us are out of this world. Um, tell me about your approach to Wesley. You know, you are a big guy. 
you're much taller than Scott, who was, and we played a lot with the camera angles on that, shooting down on Scott and up on you. Um, tell me about the, the thoughts of going into playing a thug. Well, uh, for some reason, um, um, most of my career I was cast as bully. And uh, I think I was able to draw on being bullied as a kid uh, to create those characters. Um, Tell the very me about first... that, yeah. Well, boy, I mean, I was picked on all the time. I was, I don't know, the kids, I, I, there were these guys in grade school that we'd go and play at their house and have a great time. But at school, when they were with their other friends, then they'd uh, somehow want to fight me. I, I didn't understand. It was very confusing why they'd be friends with me, you know, when it was one-on-one, but then they despised me when we were in a group. So and you I was were bigger the, than they were too. I wasn't at the time. And then oh. once I started to grow, then, then they uh, got a little bit of their own medicine. Um, but uh, yeah, so I was getting in fights all the time until I was probably sixth grade. And then I kind of decided I didn't want to be in the principal's office anymore. And so I kind of made a change and I never was in a, another fight, but I was able to bring that kind of, you know, that, that uh, the memories of being picked on as a kid and uh, turn that into, you know, Wesley. Uh, but also I was drawing on the fact that Scott and I were really good friends in real life. We had known each other for uh, probably at least three years at that point. And I, oh. I was the one that uh, for his surprise 16th birthday, I drove him there. And, you know, was, I don't remember what the, the ruse was, but uh, uh, so we had known each other for a while um, before that. So we had that to play on too. And, um, you know, it, it, it's, it was just a fun character. Uh, and I think you put on the boots, you put on the jacket, you you have the hairdo, and that's kind of half the character as well, you know? Yeah, yeah. Barry, what was your most memorable scene in the movie? Uh, driving off and pulling that ramshackle trailer. <laughs> I was afraid this I was town can kiss my ass. <laughs> <laughs> One of the most memorable lines again, this town can kiss my kiss ass. My ass. <laughs> <laughs> so much fun and so much conviction to it. I felt it. <laughs> well, it was, uh, it was great. The, the whole movie was great fun. I remember it as being a, a hill. I, I haven't seen it since it came out. So, uh, you know, but I, my, my memory of it was, it was a huge, uh, just a huge fun fest. Well, it's always so much fun for me to watch somebody that I've worked with do so much great work afterwards. Like No Country for Old Men is such an amazing performance that you gave in a movie that's absolutely classically beautiful. And John Badham, who directed uh, uh, War Games, yeah. saw that movie and he said he had to wait for the credits to... Uh, to see who played that guy, because he looked like he grew up in out of the sands of the desert. And <laughs> wow. he didn't recognize me in the thing. That's amazing. I wasn't wearing any makeup. There was absolutely no makeup. They thought about having me having a scar or something. I said, no, we don't need that. I can act that. It's it's such a great performance and so nuanced. And it was so thrilling to watch you after having worked with you to see something like that. And just the Coen brothers do such special work anyway. But that movie in particular is a really special one to me. Well, they they would uh, they never talked to me during the whole shoot. They talked to each other like this, <laughs> like that. And then they'd say, let's do it again. Finally, the last... Uh, the last scene after we wrapped the whole thing, I, I asked Joel, I said, do you guys ever direct anybody? <laughs> he said, if we cast it right, we don't have to. Good answer. And I thought that was the smartest, uh, smartest thing I've ever heard the director say. That's great. That's really great. I got to remember that. So, <laughs> Leanne, what was the most memorable scene for you? Was there one in particular that stands out either because it was difficult or because it worked well or was fun or what stands out to you? You know, for me, I think my favorite was probably in the car with Lynn and Scott. Like, we had fun. That was fun. It was. And like Lynn said, it just like if, if, 
you know, if you're going to go with vibration and energy, we were oscillating very fast, all of us. And we were just bouncing off each other like pinballs. You know, it was really, really, really a heightened experience, um, which I remember, you know, it's, 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 you forget stuff <clears throat> in life, but there's nothing about the shooting critters that I think I've blocked out or forgotten. It was just so much fun all the way around. Um, I remember having to chew on ice in 20 something degree weather in the middle of the <laughs> night, little Megan Morgan frilly dress. And I remember wardrobe had to cut um, long underwear down so that it didn't show, but I wore two flannel underwear and under that thing. And I- uh, You chewed on ice because we, you don't see your- Yeah, because it's Easter and you don't, you don't want to see the breath come out in the cold. So, you know- Oh, so I, that's, I didn't even know that. Chew that's on some ice, hey, and let's <laughs> buy some Sorrel boots because <laughs> they use those in the Arctic is what I was told. So I, I asked uh, my friend, when we were off, we went to Glendale. We went to this boot store just to get those. And I'm I'm really grateful that I did because I use them now in New York all the time. <laughs> yeah, that was my first pair of Sorrel boots was on oh that. Oh, my trip. God. That's right. We all went and got Sorrel boots. <laughs> we did. <laughs> so, Lynn, Lynn, is there something that stands out to you? Anything, a scene that was particularly either rewarding or difficult or any any reaction i mean the scene that still comes into my head is the one with in the in with the truck and the critters rolling down the hill at us i mean that's that's my my strongest memory memory of the of the film and i think also because we were talking about there was this sort of compounded energy from all of us that uh that is memorable you know and and visceral i mean you it's and the not whole just town like, is out there exactly in, like when that that critter ball is bouncing and the truck is chasing it so it was really powerful i mean in that sense you know that and um i really that hands down is my most memorable scene and with you know with with leanne and and the gang and that ball coming at us and um it was really fun and and scary it was oddly you know a little scary something chasing Good. you also has a very um you, you know you sort of forget what it is but there's something after you. your body reacts to that to being chased and i mean that's again some one of the things i love about acting is you pretend something but it becomes real you know for at least those moments but you're safe you know, when it's over, you can still go home and you're fine. I mean, there's something very spectacular about that event as an actor, you know, no matter what you do and how much you pretend and how much your body responds at the end of the day, you know, you can have a, you know, a, a cup of water and, and sit back and relax and enjoy the, the you know, the, uh, the feast that you've just created. So thanks, Leanne, you were awesome. And Barry, you know, and, and my scenes with Barry that were, you know, I remember the one at the trailer, actually, and, I, and I'm very, I, I sort of love, I kind of fall in love with the sheriff in my own little way. You know, she, Sal is always it's looking to be in love yeah. with somebody. Sal's got, a, Sal's got a crush. So Sal Barry, had a crush. And Barry, I said, you and Lynn worked together as husband and wife in another movie. We did. And, he, and he the was, movie called The Mountaintop, yeah. Tennessee, yeah. It was, we were in yeah, bed I together. Was, uh, I, I played the prophet. I was yeah. a prophet, I think. I was either a prophet or I was crazy. I'm not sure which. <laughs> yeah, it was a man who who spoke to God, really. I mean, it was a one of the religious. Um, I remember I said "fuck" <laughs> at, the, at one of the rehearsals, and I thought, "No, no, I didn't really mean that." Oops, because <laughs> <laughs> I because you know, they were all. I mean, they were a very religious. You know, they were a, a really hip group of people it wasn't like but there was that moment of, of saying the wrong thing in church <laughs> you know. <laughs> and, at least and, we built yeah. our own church so we could light it in flames if something it, true happened. true <laughs> oh yeah well we burned down the church in that uh, in that movie too too that's right there was another church being burned down yeah, I was, you were terrific I was put in, in it. jail for arson in that movie that's, oh, right. I, that's right i've got to track that one down Got to track that down. To it's see. actually a pretty, it's a pretty decent, you know, it's a good little film, a good story. And I did have fun yeah. with Barry. We had a wonderful, a wonderful time working together on it. So where were we? Yeah, Barry? She, Lynn protected me in the movie. Oh, 
Okay. She well, protected I, me as much as she could. As much I, as I, I could. I didn't get arrested. <laughs> well, yeah, I just a... want to see it knowing that there's a bed scene with Barry Corbin and Lynch Day. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm reading from the Bible. Oh, oh wow. So, and yeah, I think he's, he's right. snoring. So those <laughs> are something to that effect, but... But well, it, it, I wake up. I, I wake up to write down my dream because that's, that's where right, I that's get right, all that's my right. inspirations. He remembers more I write about it. To the FBI, and they think I'm a criminal. Oh, I love it. Yeah, I've, I've got to track this one down. Tommy, what's yes. the, the scene that's most memorable for you? It has to be the burger joint, you know, because uh, it was a scene with Leanne. I'm hitting on her, and I uh, get to uh, throw Scott out the doors and acting and of course, drunk. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I've never been in, in drunk a day in my life, which is so it shows in the movie. It's some uh, of the worst here. drunk. <laughs> yeah. It's so, some of the worst drunk acting I think I've ever seen. Oh, but, um, I believe that. I, I was <laughs> asking everybody, did Tommy take a couple of hit drinks before? <laughs> Very convincing. Yeah, between two. <laughs> no, no. I mean, so, so, but that was my probably my favorite. And then Eddie Driesen, you know, I mean, that was fun too. <laughs> oh, yeah. Picking up and throwing Eddie Deason out the door. Or Deason, I'm sorry, I said his name. Oh right. no, yeah. no, it's good. Uh, yeah, so such a great, fun. such a, a great opportunity for me as a brand new director to work with such a variety of actors, and learn how to work yeah, with each. Go ahead, Barry. Can I say one thing that I've, I've uh, for all the movies that I've done, uh, about. Uh, well, maybe a, a quarter of the people who talk to me about uh, about my business, this is one of their favorite movies. Wow. Oh, that's great. I mean, they, I, I get that a lot. A lot of people uh, say this is one of their favorite movies. Wow. that it, It's amazing to to hear that 35 years after the fact. I still get that. You know, for a lot of directors who've been in the business for a long time, they don't necessarily love hearing people say, oh, your first movie is my favorite thing you've ever done. <laughs> but in this case, you know, it just feels personal. This movie feels really personal to me, even though I was a hired hand, I was able to do a rewrite on it. It felt personal. Every one of you feels like a friend, people I have relationships with. And just the experience with the Kyoto brothers and with Russell Carpenter, who was our DP, who went on to win an Oscar for shooting Titanic. Right. Oh, um, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I didn't know that he he worked with us or with you on that film. Yeah. Uh, well, not with me on Titanic. Well, well, no, no, but on, <laughs> but on, the, on this. Yeah. On. So he went on to win the Oscar for Titanic and just a great bunch of people, really talented people pulling together to do their best for a little movie called Critters 2, the main course. And ultimately, no one saw it in the theaters. There wasn't really a demand for a Critters 2. The first one was modestly successful that was more successful on video. And Critters 2 reached its audience more on video. And then over the years, people came to discover that it had particular charms. But Cynthia, remember opening night when we went up to the Universal <clears throat> City Walk Studios and saw it? Tell me how it felt. <clears throat> me? Yeah, because yeah, I can tell you how I felt. But oh, you were, you were I, with me. I was with you, and I thought it was somewhere in Burbank. I didn't know it was. At, no, you know, that was the sneak preview. Oh no, you mean oh opening night? No, we opened the door and peeked in, and it was yeah, three people in the audience. I, I, my heart broke for you. I was so, I was so sad for you, and. It's broken a, one or two more times with openings of films. <laughs> but the, but the thing that's wonderful is now there's other there's other options that you know yeah. not just the theater. I mean it's true video and streaming now. Forget about it. There's anything you know it, things become more and more popular by the day because of their exposure. So we we don't have to be too upset about that. I had that same experience with Kingpin. I went to opening yeah. night. I was so excited. There were, I think it was me, I think it was just me and one other person. 
And this was the height of the Farrelly brothers. And the height of the Farrelly brothers, but nobody went to the theater to see it. It, And then it gained popularity. And it was the same thing with something about Mary. So the fact that this has legs like it does and has little arms and little, it's not just legs, it's got a lot of legs. (laughs) And claws and teeth. (laughs) Really, claws and teeth. And (laughs) Um, you know, it'll it will continue to to garner, I think, new audiences as the kids get older, and you know, the, it'll always be there for you know for young people to enjoy that kind of of science fiction horror comedy. I mean, it's a very special genre it creates for itself too. Yeah, uh, Barry, did you show this to your son, Jim? This movie? Yeah. Oh yeah. Afterwards, uh, but he, he's the one that suggested that I go that I do it. Yeah, yeah. What did he, he think? You've got to do it. <laughs> what, and, what? and he ended up with one of those critters somewhere or another. Oh, oh, man. that's where it is. I don't know how he did that, <laughs> but he did. I better get in touch, touch with him and get that back. <laughs> really? Get that back. <laughs> eBay. And Tommy, what about your daughter? Did she see the movie? Oh, she's only six and a half. So she's yeah. not seen any of the movies I've ever been in. Um, <laughs> It's just as well. It's just as well later. Right. Yeah. I'm I'm excited to show her something one day. But you know, and, and the funny thing is that there are kids in her kindergarten class that have seen me in movies. Um, and they recognize me from especially this movie, Heavyweights. And she's like, Well, what is this movie? And why can't I watch it? I'm like, uh, you'll you'll see it soon enough. But it's it's just it's it's a little bit older humor, and I, I don't think she should watch it quite yet. One PG-13. day. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Leanne, what about your daughter? My daughter, all three of my kids loved it. I've oh. got, remember, I have a 30, 32 year old. I have a- What? It's crazy to me. My oldest one was born in 89, 89, 91, and 99. You look like you're 32. Yeah. I'll be <laughs> on my next birthday. Holy what? cow. Isn't that weird? How old? 58, I'm 57 no and three quarters. Yeah, you look like a, you, that's awesome. You're yeah, living a good life. <laughs> that's amazing that's amazing that is amazing well I mean, you, you really know, do but yeah get- they all saw it they all loved it and my eldest actually um his dad was friends with a director named sam Raimi, and yeah. so he, and sam like he would go to dad's on the weekend and he came back one time with these pictures he was sitting there with all these critters because sam i guess went over to the kyoto's or whatever and hooked tyler up with the yeah. That's awesome. Sam's been in a couple of my movies and I've been in one of his. So it's well, a, it's always, a it's fun thing. Like that, isn't it? that's, that's and what about you and your family, Lynn? Um, well, my son, my son's also, he's 34. Yeah. Um, I'm sure he's seen Critters. I don't think we've had a discussion about it, <laughs> <laughs> but but we will. I'm going <laughs> to have, I may give him a call after we're done with this interview. And um um, so he's, and he's a writer and we're actually working, I'm doing a one woman show, which is, I can't believe is actually happening, but, um, also because it, Barry, it's different than yours. I think it's, it's about 1968 and Lee is doing the sound design for it because he's wow. a musician and which is really exciting to, for me. And he's very supportive of, he, he knows all the movies I've been in and has seen, He's seen them all, I think. I, I actually want to ask him. I don't know if he saw Critters 2. I know we saw the first Critters, but I, he, I have to, I'm going to call him. <laughs> I, want, I want to know what he thought of it. <laughs> it's great. But, and of course, Barry is now doing a one-man show so far around Texas. Which uh, is awesome. Basically just doing a Q&A and being Barry Corbin. And what could be better than that? <laughs> Not well, we have We have fun. It's a fun show. I can't wait to see it. I I need to make a trip out to Texas just to see that. Well, this has been the most fun family reunion I can think of. And so Barry Corbin, Lynn Shea, Leanne Curtis, Tom Hodges, Cynthia Garris, thank you so much for a really, not just enjoyable revisit, but an emotional trip back to 1988. And It's been very special, and I I love all of you, and thank you for coming together for this mega uh, celebration. Thank you, you, Meg. It's so great to see all of you guys. Great to see you, Leanne, too. It's really good to see all of you guys. (laughs) And very, very. Let's do another one. We should, but (laughs) 
how, how cool is it that we all still talk to each other? I still talk to Scott. I still talk to Tommy. Lynn and I went and had lunch. Barry, I can hunt you down anytime in Texas. <laughs> we can all find you. It's good yeah, to be found. I some crew people as well. So like, I, I really, I, I love all you guys. Thank you, Mick. For, well, thank you for putting us together, Mick. Well, thank you, Mick. Love you all. And love thank you too. Take care. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Postmortem with Mick Garris. Download new episodes every Wednesday or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Postmortem with Mick Garris is produced by Mick Garris and Joe Russo. Our sound engineer is Christopher Leon Price. Our announcer is Jeff Gelb. Our graphic designer is John Holland. And our theme was composed and performed by Bill Burney with additional music by John Jasensky. If you're enjoying our show, please take a moment to rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening to the Dread Podcast Network.